Hi, I'm Mary Jane. And I'm Bridget. And we'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Super Good Juice Podcast. The Super Good Juice Podcast is a place where we talk to incredible women about their careers. We know that careers aren't linear, but nobody really talks about it. And so this is a space to share and listen and hopefully learn something along the way. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Uni and your 20s can really fly by. A lot happens in those years and it can feel like a bit of a whirlwind. Today we are speaking with Bridget's sister, Maddie Ashby, this self-described nerd, (laughs) took what many might consider a pretty traditional route post high school, heading to university at Otago, becoming a lawyer, testing the waters in the legal field, having worked for one of the big three law firms in New Zealand, a government agency, and in-house at one of New Zealand's most prominent news outlets, Stuff, before finally landing at AECC and carving out a sustainability function to her commercial relationships management role. Maddie is one of those people that seem wise beyond their years. She has an enviable self-awareness that empowers her to reflect and address some of those not so ideal habits, like stress, make tough but decisive career decisions, as well as the confidence to tackle the unknown. So welcome, and let's get into this, the fifth episode of Supergood Juice. We usually kick things off by asking our guests to give us a bit of background on their career. So what's your story? Where are you from? And how did you get to where you are today? All right. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's good to be here. Where where I've kind of come from is like a pretty, I think, probably a pretty traditional background. Um, so and my, my career path is probably quite traditional, but um, I started off super nerdy at school so that was um I just loved it I was one of those people that just loved school um and just had the best time like hanging out with my friends and um studying which sounds really kind of nerdy now that I think back on it and my nana always used to hit me up for that which was so funny but what that kind of led to was uni was always something I was going to do and made the choice to do a double degree um, at Otago um, and I studied law and French so I had an arts degree that was my my other degree. Went into law after that uh, and then worked as a lawyer for about six years. Went traveling at a really well-timed kind of six months off in in 2019 pre-COVID. So looking back very grateful to have done that and then have since then coming back and at the in about August 2019, I've been uh, at ACC, so where I am now. Hey, Maddie, what made you choose, kind of, it's a two-pronged question, what made you choose Otago Mm -hmm. and what made you choose law? I get French, but what made you choose law and what made you choose Otago? Law was an interesting decision. So I think back when I was at high school, um, and I hope it's changed now, but um, it felt quite limited in terms of career advice um, and, and paths that you'd go down because if you were interested in school and you, you thought you'd go to uni, um, it would be if you're good at arts and, and you know English and stuff like that, you'd probably go do law, science, maths, that kind of thing. It would be health sciences. Maybe if you did accounting, it might be a business degree and then if you weren't kind of that way inclined there were like lots of learn on the job courses so it was pretty limited right and the thing that particularly led me to law is that mum and I were sitting down kind of looking at career options together 
which was really helpful actually and we were looking at ministry of foreign affairs and trade because i had in my head at the time like diplomacy yeah that'd be that'd be pretty cool for that you needed a master's degree and even even then 18 i was like oh that's that sounds like a lot of work um or you needed a double degree in either law and something or economics and something and because economics was and numbers weren't really my bag law made a lot of sense so a law degree was on the cards and then about where to go so I was thinking about that I think that's one of the more pivotal decisions like when you're finishing high school and where you decide to go there's so many different forks in the road and so I think that you know had I gone to a different uni there's so many things that trigger off that of the people that you meet the friends that you make um the courses you might decide to do, where you end up, what exchange you do if you do an overseas exchange, all of those come back to where you decide to go to uni. So I think it was really a big, a big kind of pivotal um, decision. But I kind of knew that I it was it would be right to go away. And Madge, you had quite an intense year before uni. So I imagine staying in Wellington would have that break would have been probably quite important. Oh, it was, it was great. So I was, I did, I did all the stuff at high school. So I, I did, I mean, I loved it. It was, it was so fun, but I was head girl. I was in the netball team, debating team, doing all the things. And, and it was really fun, but you're right that going away to uni, I was just could be whatever, you know, I could be as busy or into things as I wanted to be. I could be out there and making friends if I wanted and it was really freeing to step away and I think as well universities like Otago, Waikato are quite good in that they're not in the big major cities because you feel really insulated is the right word insulated from the pressure of of working life so you're not you're not seeing people hustle and bustle at the trade station giving to their nine-to-five jobs or anything like that it's just a place to be young and we all played hard study hard like you suggest, it was quite a freeing thing to do. Mm. Yeah, it's such a good point about going to university or departing home at least mm. and re-establishing yourself outside of the family unit. I was an RA at Waikato and mm. I remember seeing students arrive mm. and, you know, within a month, some of them had just complete, like you could see the shift in who they were. They had identified that they could be anyone they wanted to be and they could shed all that stuff from high school or the family or whatever and oh my gosh it was amazing they would blossom and you're not recognized like especially around Wellington eastern suburbs of Wellington yeah you're not John's daughter or Anne's daughter or Bridget's sister which happened to me the other week I was buying a bike and they're like Ashby John Ashby I was like yeah it's my dad but I did find that kind of hard in Dunedin I remember looking at my ID card going oh I'm just a number now in a way it's freeing, but in a way it's a little bit scary because you're um, a small fish in a super big pond. And so Mads, you, that decision to go to Dunedin led to an exchange as well. And you know Mary's neck of the woods quite well, don't you? Very well. So I was in Milano uh, for six months and it was awesome. So it was totally against the plan. Like So I studied French um, in my arts degree and applied for these a couple of French unis. And then at the bottom, I just put Milan because I was like, oh, well, you know, we'll see. And then I got my acceptance letter to Bocconi. And I was like, well, that's a mistake. 
oh, they got something wrong here. <laughs> I'm, supposed, I'm supposed to be going to France. So I spent an awesome six months uh, in Milan and I studied international law. And it was just the greatest thing because I cross-credited fashion management to my French degree. And we did Italian classes and I loved it. I found Italian, not it's not easy, but it was a little bit simpler than French. And I just had this moment of, I was waiting for a tram and someone came up to me and said like, do you know when the next tram's coming? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's just going to come at this time in Italian. And I was like, oh, I've made it. God, <laughs> this yeah. is great. Did you speak Italian or English with the job you had over there or the internship you had over there? English. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a disaster. There was an internship um, at a small intellectual property law firm. A few Kiwis had held that internship before. And so I'd found out about it and thought, I'll, I'll give it a go. Because even if I've just do it for a few weeks in December, that'll be a cool thing to say that I've done. And it would, it would just be a bit different. I also got to turn up to a hearing one day just in front of a, a judge, which was really cool. The lawyer took a few of us. And I mean, it was in Italian, so I had no idea what was happening. But it was fun to just be like, okay, this is happening. We're here. I don't know how I ended up here. But it was one of those moments that I think you have throughout your career or your life where you, you're kind of a little bit of an outer body being like, how did we get here? <laughs> this is pretty cool. <laughs> it's really cool. Nice seeing those sorts of institutions at work firsthand, especially in a foreign context. Yeah, it made the idea of working in law, which felt quite scary at the time when you're at university, made it seem a bit more approachable, I think. And so you came back from Italy and then what happened? Was that the end of university for you or did you still have some more no, time? I had one more year. So I came back to Dunedin. And so going from Milan to Dunedin was a, a shock again. <laughs> Barker's track Another, pants, what are you talking about? But, Huffer um, jacket. Huffer jackets, rain. They still still had a hold on Dunedin. I think they still do. And it was at that time that we were doing the internship thing or trying to get internships with, with law and the, the big firms. There's about 10 big firms that kind of advertise at the universities. There's Obviously, there's so, so many more firms, but you only see or know of 10 if, if you don't have any family in, in the industry and so it was at that time that we would be we were kind of all chasing internships um so it's quite an interesting year um, it was kind of like hunger games over rosé sometimes because yeah. you'd have these big networking events where you're all trying to like sidle up and do these nice little quips with the partner of the law firm and just be remembered, you know, I think I was like, I'll just, I'll wear a bright green top and I'll, I'll be remembered or it's something like that because there's so many of you. Um, and you've really just, just got to try and, uh, and do, do your best because you've, you've got your application on one hand and then they want to see if you're a nice, likable person that they'd want to work with. And so there's networking events and there was interviews. So it was, it was quite a busy year, but it was a fun year. It's quite competitive, isn't it, Mads? Well, it was, and because law always was. So from the start, so in first year, there were 700 law students, and then it cut down to 200 in second year, which was like you go into it knowing that. And so there's the halls are really great, and they run extra tutorials that you can do to prep. And, and so that was the most competitive thing I think I'd ever experienced because, you know, having gone to a very, you know, small welcoming school, to then going into this, what felt like quite dog-eat-dog world of 
you know, you've, you'll have to beat out other people, which just felt really unnatural. So, so there was that. Um, and then in the background, you've got, you know, that there's people who, who are there that are already on scholarships. So, so they've got a scholarship from the start, which means they've got an internship, which means they've got a job. So, so they're set, they're good to go. Well, now the next thing is summer clerkships and you get those by fourth year. Generally you do your summer clerkship in the summer between fourth and fifth. And then after fifth year, you'd go in and work in as a graduate. So I hadn't done that because I was in Milan. And so I came back thinking, okay, if I'm going to do this, it's got to happen this year or I'll be on a different path. So luckily it did. Like I was saying, there were 10 firms. I applied for all of them. I did five in Wellington and five in Auckland just to see. Got a couple of interviews and got a job in Wellington. Who was that with, Mads? So that was with Chapman Trip, and it was such a great place to start. I just felt so lucky. So that was another, that was one of those moments again where you have that out of body moment where you look at yourself and you go, wow, how did we get here? This, this is great. It was also probably the first moment where I thought, oh, I don't know about this because I was in the finance law team. And so that didn't really fit with the background that I'd had in, uh, in French and arts and art history and all those, all those fun, uh, beautiful things. But I was very grateful for the job because it gave me uh, an insight into a world, the finance industry, finance sector, that I just would never have got otherwise. And so I learned a lot. And it also proved that I could be there you know, I kind of was always nervous about, uh, you know, maths or economics and things like that. I always felt a bit out of my depth. And then I was like, wait, hold on. This is Madeline Ashby finance. I, I can do this. Mm. So it was a, a bit of a confidence boost. And, and also a moment where I thought, but how long will I be here? I'm, I'm not too sure. But it was a great job because there were, I think there were nine of us in the team at the time and seven of us were women. And so it was just full and you don't really see that in the finance industry, but just full of these like really strong, smart women who were friendly, who were doing their thing. And it was a really great way to start out because I never really felt like I was a, a woman in law. Mm. That was always something that was talked about how to be a woman in law. And I was like, well, isn't that what we all are? Like that's just what the whole team is. So I didn't really feel like a fish out of water too much so that was a really great starting point where do you think that nervousness about maths economics business and finance where do you think your nervousness came from I was seven years old (laughs) (laughs) I was seven years old and it was a basic it was called basic facts and you had these little sheets and you had to fill them in with and like a time pressured you had like 45 seconds to fill in your basic facts the panic would set in and it was the most brutal way to teach something and then I just had this big block and and so it's been since ever since then and I feel like if I apply myself now and just try to remove the mental block I might be okay and I think one time I even picked up an old year nine text maths textbook just to be like can I can I do this and I mean I think Mm. I could but I even get a mental block now. I call it public maths. Like I'm not going to do public maths in front of anybody. Like when we got our home loan and the banker oh was my like, God. Um, actually guys, I did all these calculations before I came in um, and I'm not very good at doing maths in front of anybody. So um, I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. And we were like, preach. That was, <laughs> a, that was a, a wonderful 
a wonderful life moment someone in the banking industry brave enough to say that they don't do public maths and so Mads, how long were you with Chapman trip for two and a half years it's a good stint yeah that's good mm, stint. Mm. what was the catalyst for your next move I feel like the writing was probably on the wall for a while and particularly because I would do a lot of work and people would say oh you'd be a great project manager well, you'd be great in comms. I'm like, guys, I'm trying to be a great lawyer. So just, just let me do that for a bit. I, I think it was, it was a really great place to work and it was a great career, but it just wasn't the right career for me. Mm. So the big catalyst for it was that it was actually you and me, Bridge. We went back to our old high school and we gave talks on our careers and what we'd done. And it was really interesting for me because I was I remember watching you and you were speaking about your career and the decisions you've made and and you looked really like upbeat about it and um was giving a really good presentation to the girls and then I went and I was hoping I was looking the same but internally I was like oh it just doesn't feel right anymore bridge you dropped me back at the office and then as we pulled up I turned to you and I was like I think I need to quit today <laughs> and you said you're like do it do it today and you know with you being in HR that almost felt like permission from someone in the industry someone who knew about careers and and you said to me why don't you just take a three-month notice period and take your time to find a job so I went back upstairs I texted my partner he texted back straight away and was like do it and so it was these two really important people who were really supportive of me making quite a big decisive move I was like oh my god this is great and I walked past the HR office like three times. I pretended to get a drink, went to the toilet. Okay, now I've got the confidence to go in. And um, I went in and I just said, oh, look, I I think I'm going to resign. I think it's probably time. And she said, cool, yeah, that sounds good. And it would have come as a surprise to no one that it was probably my time to go. You know, I was never going to be a partner. I didn't have the interest to do that. Some people do, and that's super cool for them. But for me, it was pretty clear that that wasn't going to happen and that was the right time to go. I left without a job, but I had a plan in place. And so I just attacked it. And then I think I left within about two months. How old were you, Mads, when you did that? 26. I was unbelievably proud of you that day. One, for realizing. Two, for doing it. And three, I just thought, like, you just set the most amazing example of backing yourself. Mm, It felt really momentous and freeing and this weight off my shoulders to go you know this this career doesn't fit who I am so it's time to go and and make the make the decision to go and I think we had a group of 10 people in our year group who all came on at the same time and I know that others were like oh I want to do that too and the thing is they can you know they they could have done that too and some one of them did but it's quite a low risk time to leave so I think there's always a good time to leave. There's always a good time to go do the right thing for you. But a particularly good time is when you're 26. Because from Chapman Trip, then, because in my mind, you left the legal profession, but you didn't. You just left the big dogs and you went in-house. In-house, that's right. So I moved to New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, which was so much fun I love that organization so much it's got an incredible culture Um, and I moved into a non-legal role in like a contracts team it was really a foot in the door um, and I was there for about a month but 
and my fourth day in the air at NZTE, someone from the legal team came up and said, hey, I heard you're a lawyer. See you soon. <laughs> and they, they had someone leaving their team um, and they eyed me up and were like, come on. So I was in this small team with three of us. We're all women. And I really learned what it's like to actually do everyday legal work, which is mainly just, it's just contract law, commercial law. Um, but with an international bent because it was New Zealand trained enterprise. So, so I was there for 18 months. And then I saw a role come up at VFX, which is now Stuff, uh, the news website. So I was there for a year doing a cover. And that was really well timed because it was just before we had plans to go overseas for six months just to take a bit of a life break. That was a really fun thing to get into. And I have so much respect for the leadership. And so Mads, what, what's been your favorite role that you've had so far? My one now, which is so cool to say. So now I'm a commercial relationship and sustainability manager, which is a bit of a mouthful, but what it means is that I've got two parts to my job. So I look after a couple of key supplier relationships. And then the other side is the sustainability side. I work on the uh, corporate climate change program. So we have at ACC, we've got an ACC climate change framework, which has two pillars. One is the big investments portfolio. So we've got a $50 billion investment portfolio which funds the future cost of claims so that's really important that that is run very profitably but increasingly important that it's run in a responsible and sustainable way and so was e-vehicles one of your projects yes that was last year so that really defined last year for me because we were lucky enough to get funding from from government to be able to buy electric vehicles. So we bought 25 EVs. We installed them, installed the charges throughout the country. So across nine sites, that was a really fun year of project managing kind of makes my heart melt a little bit when I see people booking the EVs in the system. So yeah, it's cool. It's very cool. And you've had pretty amazing results in the investment space, haven't you? Yeah. Yep. So the investments team have, They've said that they will kind of blacklist certain companies who generate, I think, 30% or more of their profit from thermal coal. So what they've done is they've reduced the carbon intensity of the portfolio by, I think it's almost 50%. There's always more that we can do, but it's really cool watching the work that they do. Amazing. Mm. So this is quite a shift from the law, this change in your career. How was that overall moving into quite a different function within uh, a government agency? It was very follow your nose, to be honest. I got a role in the procurement team. And then I was like, oh, this is why everyone stays. Because people say, a lot of people at ACC stay for years. And I understand it now because there's, you can have a whole career there. It's, it's really amazing. I was there in that role for about a year. Then it became permanent in the commercial management role. So that's the looking after suppliers. Because we have a lot of the spend and a lot of the reporting, we were the natural fit to hold the climate change program because you know when you spend money on something that's usually where the emissions come from so we needed some help getting that sorted so I put my hand up and said I'll do that and I think I think a lot of pivoting in your role is doing the job before you get the job so I I started that in probably September 2020 I started working on our sustainability program and then I got it in my job title probably this month so mm. you know it just takes a while of working in something and then you go actually 
I'm kind of leading this now. Maybe I should say that I am. Mm. Um, yeah. And so it was very, very kind of organic in the way it, it came about. And I think particularly with sustainability, because it's only really becoming a, an industry now that there's a lot of scope for people to move their way into their industry. If you know what you're trying to achieve as an organization, you can also be the one to go, oh, well, because I know that this area is our highest emission source, let's do a targeted program there. And so you've got that information and you can have a lot more impact. So I think you can get into it a lot of different ways, particularly if you know how the business is operating, you can work to putting a sustainability lens on it. I love that advice, especially do the job before it is your job. Be bold enough to suggest it. Because I assume, Mary, you asked to have sustainability. In your yeah, job. I asked. Yeah, yeah. Because you don't you don't get it if you don't ask. Yeah, it's amazing, eh, Mary? Because we hear all of this messaging around what can we, the individual, do. But actually, it's the manufacturers. It's the big corporates. It's the business. There are yep. so many other opportunities. 100%. And so you go, where's the energy? There's a lot of energy I could put into like maybe running a waste campaign. Like here's about single-use items at work. That could be time well spent because it touches a lot of different people. But also... When you look at the percentage of what our waste is versus air travel, we're actually using, you know, Zoom calls or Teams calls instead of people traveling um, for work is going to have a much, much larger impact. So actually, why don't we just focus the energy on capping air travel budgets or something like that and teaching people about um, why that's impactful. But I also think that it is hard for people because they do feel very guilty about things that they have very little control over. So when we first released our framework in 2020, we the particular board chair and chief executive we had at the time, which has since changed, they were just so strong on it and said, we want to reduce our corporate emissions by 60%, so get it done. So we said, oh, we'll buy 20 cars. And they said, buy 80. And I said, well, no, actually, we don't need 80 cars, but thanks, good, good energy. <laughs> and that's where it really comes from because it comes from the top. Because if the top is saying, do it, you will see progress. Have you always had a passion for the climate and sustainability or is that something that's evolved over the past couple of years? It's evolved in the same way it's evolved for everybody, I think. It's not something I grew up being particularly passionate about, but it's been really cool to be able to turn it into the job that I do on a daily basis. You can hear the passion in your voice when you talk about it. It's really nice to hear. More than when you were highlighting banks' terms and conditions? Big time. Oh, yeah, God, that sounds grim. <laughs> So I did that for six months. I read all of the bank's mortgage terms and conditions and then translate them. So when Bridget and I came to buy a house together, that was really helpful because I'd already, I'd actually written <laughs> the home loan terms and conditions that we were reading. Maddie said to me, she was like, oh, I wrote this so you can just sign there. And I was like, oh, thank God, I definitely wasn't going to read it. I just needed to gloat because it was a horrible six months. Kind of good to do the shit stuff though, right? to appreciate it is, the good it's an stuff. apprenticeship it's a real apprenticeship what would you say would be your most memorable career moment so far there's two there's that moment of deciding to leave the law firm that was a really big pivotal moment just because it gave a lot of self-confidence to back myself and then the career high of just buying electric vehicles and installing them was really cool and tangible. Any regrets, Mads? I think being stressed for more than I needed to. 
I probably started being stressed at work from the start because it was competitive and then had a few different jobs. And then I realized that the common thread between those jobs was me. And so I was the one that was stressing. And then I'm in the job I'm in now, I'm in a team of 20. And so we all broadly do the same things. And so you realize that actually there's people who are doing the same job and they're not kind of taking it home with them mentally at night and that I didn't have to. And so I kind of regret feel it taking that stress with me. Babs, did you have any like role models throughout, role models or key people throughout your journey? Certainly. I think one thing that was useful was what a recruiter said to me one time is that the only one that cares about your career is you. And that was useful to know for terms of ownership of just take, make the decision you want to make for yourself. No, no one else cares in terms of no one else is going to stress if you make a different decision. So that was useful. But I think in terms of mentors, there's so many along the way that even they might not describe themselves as mentors or a mentor-mentee relationship. But we've got a big family of amazing aunties and uncles and mum and dad who ran their own business for 20 years. So they were always really inspiring and still are and, and love to get stuck into work conversations. And then I, what I love is the, the hidden mentors in day-to-day life. You know, the person that you call before you're going into a negotiation, who's the person that you call for the pep talk? Who's going to practice your lines with you, play good cop, bad cop, and things like that. That person is a mentor, whether you've agreed it amongst yourselves or not. And I think identifying them as they come up in your working relationships so that you can feel grateful towards them is, is important. Maddie, what do you do to create that mental space from work? Hobbies. It's so important to have something that you love to do and think about outside of work. That's not just like exercising or, or reading or, you know, something like that. So I'm sitting in my sewing room right now and I've got, sewing machine and overlocker and knitting and so it's quite cute at work there's five of us and we have a wee knitting circle on Fridays and we have a sewing club every six weeks at one of the girls house and just having something very structured and and creative has been great I've really really enjoyed that over the last few years how old Um, are you Matt almost 32 oh wow oh you've established some really good habits for your age I reckon Thanks. Very healthy habits. Any essential reading, watching, or listening that you're just into at the moment? Career-wise, it would be Range by David Epstein. Really great book about how having a range to your life or your career is can really give you a leg up. And I think it's an important thing for people in an industry that is quite focused, like a legal industry. And then just on a completely different note, I mean, I'm so in love with Heartstopper right now on Netflix. What's Heartstopper? So Heart, good. Oh my God. I'm recommending so good. it to everybody. Oh, Heartstopper, heart melting, amazing. Do you have a hype song or activity? I do like a wee hype song. It changes. <laughs> Kygo is always good. Yeah. You know, you're coming in on the train in the morning, you're hyping up for some paperwork, contract negotiations, whatever you're doing. That's a good time because at the end of the day, a good attitude is everything. I love what you say about attitude is everything. Apart from the fucking maths thing. Everyone's got that though. Everybody's got their like the chink in the armor, right? If you choose your mindset, you choose success, right? 
Mads, anything you think we've missed or anything that you think our listeners would take a little nugget from? Two great quotes from two great women. Agnes Ashby, our grandma. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's wrong. That was really powerful for me. And then Margot Robbie. What did she say? Let your work speak for you. Hmm. I thought that was amazing. What's the next challenge, Matt? I don't know. I have a follow your nose mentality for working. I'm not that strategic, which I, th- I thought I would be a quite a strategic person because of the way I kind of um, approached school and uni and things like that. But since I've gotten into working, it doesn't just really fit with me. So I'll just follow the sustainability work and see where that leads me. Awesome. Love it. I think it's super helpful. Too many people get stressed about needing to know where they're going. I remember this coach one time was like, do you think you're coasting? I was like, no, I just don't think, I don't care. I'll just wait for the next door to open. Like, <laughs> Maybe that is the definition of coasting. I don't know. Maybe, but maybe coasting's not bad because yes. isn't it quite mm. nice to feel really comfortable in a job that you know what you're doing, you feel really empowered. Yeah. And then you might have this really ambitious life outside work. You can be life ambitious without being work ambitious. Mm. And it doesn't yeah. mean you're coasting. But also coasting implies not Empathy. Yeah. And like in my mind, I was like, well, no, I fucking smash what I do. I'm really mm. good. And but just because I don't know my next three steps, it's not coasting. That's just enjoying I kind of even like the concept of coasting a little bit. Because you know, if you think of coasting when you're driving, you're just you're just chill. You know what you're doing. You mm. feel relaxed. And I don't know that that's so wrong. I think we need to challenge that a bit. And maybe yeah. reframe the word or the concept. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's wrong. Maddie, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a wonderful chat. There will be so many people that will benefit from hearing your story. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Mads. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We have popped links to Maddie's LinkedIn profile and her ACC e-videos in the show notes below. If you haven't already rated or reviewed the podcast, please help us out by doing so wherever you listen to our pod. All feedback is welcome and we appreciate it very, very much. And if you or someone you know has a career story to tell, please get in touch with us. We love hearing and sharing your stories. All the ways to contact us are in the show notes below as well. Super Good Juice is a Popper Pod on production. This episode was produced by Bridget Ashby and me, Mary Jane Rewa. Editing and sound design is also by me. The music you hear in this podcast is sourced through Upbeat, the artist is Tatami, and the track is called In Motion. See you next time.